right, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 5, verse 22 to begin with. Um, we have been on a journey together in looking at the book of Ephesians in just seven weeks. It is quite a feat. Uh, my goal is to hit the high spots and give you a, a good understanding of the structure of the book, so as you go back and study it yourself, you will really uh, just get so much more out of it. Uh, one thing that is so important for us here at Faith Baptist Church is the power of the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God and prayer to God for grace uh, to live it. And so that is such an important part of what we do here. And uh, so we're going to look at uh, this portion of Scripture, and we're looking at it thematically, so it doesn't break into neat categories, or I should say neat chapters and verses, uh, because we're kind of following the theme. And you realize that when Paul originally wrote this, it was just a letter, <laughs> and uh, it didn't have all the chapter divisions and all the verse divisions. And so they are very helpful uh, in helping find your place uh, in Scripture, but we're going to follow through through uh, Paul's themes in Scripture. And uh, before we look at this passage, a couple things I just want to remind you of is what the, the theme of the book of Ephesians is. And that helps us understand where Paul is, what Paul's talking about, and how he's applying the gospel to our individual lives. And uh, God is redeeming or reclaiming his corrupted creation through Christ, beginning with the church, so that we might rejoice in him forever. So again, uh, God made all creation for his glory, but through the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, mankind was separated uh, spiritually from God and subject to physical death, uh, a separation of the body and soul. And uh, this corrupt creation is being reclaimed by God the Father, and he's doing so through Christ Jesus. And he's starting with the church, his people, and he's calling us back to himself. And that's really important to understand because we realize that the way God made it at the beginning will again be remade at the end of the ages. He'll make a new heavens and a new earth. And during this intervening period, he's creating this new humanity already in his people. And so we're experiencing, and, and the whole theme of Ephesians is kind of this uncovering or this, this opening of our eyes to God's grand work, his vision for humanity and how he's remaking it. And so that's why Paul prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. He said, I want you to have wisdom and revelation in, in Jesus. I want you to understand what God's new humanity purpose is for your life. And then I want you to start living that out because once you are now in Christ, you have a new identity because you're part of a new humanity. You have a new community, God's people. And uh, that new identity comes with a set of values and beliefs, which uh, then determines how you live your life or the choices that you make. So who you are determines what you believe, determines what you do. And so that's why he, in the end of the book, is giving all these new humanity values and ethics. And he's basically saying this, hey, your whole life's going to be changed once you meet Jesus Christ. You're brand new. He's remade you, given it giving you his Holy Spirit, giving you a new nature, and you're going to start living out that identity that you have in Christ. So the first three chapters, he just shows the glories of this new identity. And then chapters four through six, he starts showing you this is how it works in real life. And I, I'm so glad. Uh, the Bible's not like a book of just theory. It, it's a book of, hey, this is who you are in Jesus and how you can live now that you belong to him. And so uh, 
we get into uh, chapter 4, and we looked at how God, through Christ Jesus, produces unity. Uh, he starts bringing, remember, all the, the world was in harmony with God at the beginning. Sin broke that harmony, and at the end of the ages, he's going to put it back into harmony, right? And so, he talks about how we can start experiencing that harmony in our lives as the new humanity right now, how we can have harmony in our families, in our workplace, in our marriages. It's pretty practical stuff. And so, uh, we have peace with God, so we can experience harmony with Him. And now that we have harmony with Him, we can begin to have harmony with our earthly relationships. Now, this does not come easily. This, how it happens is we begin to apply the gospel to our everyday lives. We, this whole idea of put off the old creation, renew your mind, and put on, this is how it works in real life. And so he's going to say, hey, the way you used to look at marriage, that's all going to change. The way you used to look at parenting and the, the way you used to look at how you labor in this world, how you work, that's all going to change. And you're going to put off the way you used to think about these things. You're going to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, that renewal is this. God is going to open up my eyes to who Jesus is. And as I see who Jesus is, he transforms me into his likeness. And then I'm going to start putting on brand new behavior. So we can experience real harmony, not only through unity in the church, but we can also have it in our everyday relationships. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And so our theme is Christ's work for us and in us will help us to walk in harmony in our earthly relationships. So I love that the gospel gets down to the nitty gritty of life. Again, it's just not theory. This is like, hey, I, there's a, who I am in Christ is awesome, but how can it help me have a better marriage? He goes, this is how. <laughs> uh, how can it help me uh, with my child training? Hey, this is how. And so I really love that part of it. But uh, what he says a lot here is this idea, and what really sets the tone is verse 21 in your Bibles of Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm just going to read uh, a part of this. I'm going to let you remain seated. And as we read, but I'll read aloud, Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And that's going to set the tone. Submitting to one another, mutual submission, is how what's going to govern all these other relationships. Then he gets to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be subject or be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak to you concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as he loves himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, with sincerity of heart. As to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good one anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to know how to live out our new identity in Jesus Christ. God, we are super confused because we don't start off thinking right. Uh, we come to Christ and he starts to renew our minds, so we're starting to get an idea of, of this whole new kind of life that you want us to live, a life under your authority in submission to you with joy, realizing that uh, your authority is perfect. But Lord, understanding that, we know our earthly uh, authorities aren't perfect, and it makes it hard. And God, there's a natural bent in our own hearts to, to rebel and to be selfish and to go our own way. And so, Lord, open up our eyes this morning. Help us to see how we can live Jesus in all these relationships. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First of all, we want to talk about submission. Submission is the key to harmony, okay? So harmony is the goal, and submission is the pathway to that. And it's, again, something that does not come naturally. It's something that uh, is very difficult for us. Because remember, before salvation, we were rebels. And God gives us a new heart, and that's awesome. And so that enables us to start submitting. But it doesn't mean it's not difficult. <laughs> it can be very hard. And I don't know about you, but uh, from the time I was a kid, uh, whenever I was told to do something, there was a little part of my heart said, mm -mm, I'm going to do my thing. And uh, even as adults, we can struggle with that. And so let's talk a little bit about what submission means, okay? What is mutual submission? Well, the term used here is actually a military term, and it has to do with ranks. Uh, think, you know, generals and captains and lieutenants. And the idea is this, is to, consider, to rank yourself under others for their good. Or in other words, you're to submit yourself and your personal desires, your personal wants for the good of other people, because we're not an army of one. We all belong to the Lord and part of His people. And so the idea is, put other people in front of you. Or consider others better than yourself, is how other passages of Scripture say it. And so this is how it works out in real life and things like marriage. And so I came across this quote, I think it was very, very good explanation. It's by uh, someone by the name of Abigail Dodds, and she said this, submission is willingly coming under the authority of another. This is why every true Christian is a submissive person. The new heart that God gives us when he saved us and made us his own, pumps submissive life all throughout our new selves. And I would say new humanity or new identity selves, right? We submit to God, who is the author of our lives, and therefore our true authority in every way. It's from this ultimate submission to God that every other earthly submission makes sense. He has ordered his world, and in our submission to him, we take our place within that order. And sometimes when we think of submitting, we think that means that person's better than me, smarter, uh, has more character, has more abilities, not true at all. Let me just ask you this question. When Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to God to the death of the cross, did God, did God the Son, Jesus, did he become any less than the Father when he came to earth? Did he become less God? No, he was always equal with God the Father, and yet he humbled himself and became submissive. God submitted himself to God. <laughs> And so uh, we don't need to look at saying, well, if a wife submits to her husband, that means that he's greater and she's less. Not at all. It doesn't even mean that a child that submits to a, a parent means that somehow the child is less of a person than the, 
than the parent. Not at all. That's not God's point. God's point is this. As we submit to him, he's created a structure and authority for the good of mankind, for the the good of human flourishing. And if we'll submit to him, then it'll enable us to say, hey, even if God is perfect and I can submit to him, that's easy, but how can I submit to that person because they're not perfect? He's saying, don't worry. Your submission is really to me. Let me handle that. You just realize that I structured these things so that it would be good for you, good for humanity, and bring me glory. And so that is really the idea here. And think about it. Even Jesus himself talked to his disciples about the importance of being a servant leader. And isn't that what we're really talking about here? In Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, he says, there was a great dispute among them about who should be considered to be the greatest. You see, that's the way we are as humanity. We're always arguing about who's better than who, who's in charge of who. I mean, think about it. When we were kids, oftentimes, I had an older sister, and uh, there's just two of us. And so it was often, I'm in charge when mom and dad are away. And I didn't like that at all. I was like, well, who made you in charge? Well, I'm older. And we, we have these power struggles because we don't like to have anyone be considered to be over us. We don't like that. And so we kind of reject and rebel against that. And we say, no, I'm going to be in charge. We kind of fight for control. And we want to be the one in control and have no one telling us what to do. But what did he say to the disciples who were arguing about which one's going to be considered the greatest? And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them. He's like, yeah, you know, sometimes governmental authorities are harsh and, and they take control and they, they do so despotically or uh, tyrannically. He says this, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. No, on the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For, for who is greater, he that sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Uh, Jesus' point is like, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He said, I came to give myself sacrificially to be a servant to others for their good. That doesn't make me less. That actually makes me greater. So the whole idea of servant leadership, and we lead by serving other people for their good, not for our personal gain or benefit. And really, submission is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel. I mean, yes, it's very hard to submit, but if you look at the Bible from cover to cover, what you realize is the whole point is God's loving rule over us. At the beginning, he lovingly ruled over all creation, and he told Adam and Eve, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Gave him a very simple rule and said, and, 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 and here's the idea. He's like, listen, I love you. I want what's best in your life, and I will give you rules for life that will actually help you have more joy, deeper joy. There's some things I'm going to say no to, but there's so much I say yes to. Listen, they had every tree in the garden but one. Nope, got to have the one. And what happened is mankind rebelled against that. But if you look at all the way through to the book of Revelations, there's Genesis. Now you look at Revelation, all the universe is going to come back under the loving rule of God again. And we're going to be full of joy and sin's going to be eradicated. And it's going to be a perfect society. Why? Because it's under the rule of God. In the intervening period when man decides to do their own thing, it gets real ugly. I mean, real nasty in this world. People do horrible things to each other. But if you looked, the essence of the gospel is coming under the rule of God. 
So submission just makes sense. It's part, I think, part and parcel of the gospel. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're really coming under his rule and reign in our life, and we do so with joy, understanding that his way is best. So submission is then how God grows us. Even as we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ, he gives us relationships that we have to submit in. And by the way, all of us do. There's no one that's ultimately at the very top of everything. Everyone answers to somebody. Everyone has to submit. The beautiful thing is the local church, we submit to one another. We become servants to one another. People sometimes go, well, you're the pastor, you're the head cheese. No, I'm not. <laughs> Do you realize you guys could fire me at any moment? Really, I serve at your pleasure. <laughs> I serve you guys, but at any point, you can get rid of me. Now, I'm hoping you don't anytime soon. At least give me a heads up, right? <laughs> But what I'm saying is this, we're, we're all subject to somebody else. And so we're all called to be servants. And so God gives us, by the way, these so that it actually trains us how to submit to his leadership. These are, these are good discipling things. Are they hard? Yes. But is it good to train us on how to submit to God? Absolutely. So let's look how submission works itself out in real life. And again, we're going to go through this pretty quickly because it's a large portion of Scripture. Oh, why are you starting with the wife, Pastor? It's because it comes first chronologically in Scripture, okay? I'm just, I'm dealing with that first because it's the first thing he talks about. So I'm just going in order. So don't, don't say, oh, you would start with how women need to submit with men. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, hear me out. Listen to me. And listen, um, Alexander Pope said, fools rush in where, where angels fear to tread. And uh, I, I realize that uh, I'm on kind of thin ice here. Uh, people looking at me like, oh, okay, what you going to say, Pastor, about wives submitting to their husbands? Okay, listen, give me a chance here, okay? And I understand this is difficult. And here, here's a, a few reasons why. Well, first of all, uh, because we don't like to submit in anything. No one likes to submit. <laughs> it's difficult. But I am sorry to say that sometimes Christian men abuse this. They, they, they don't lead as servant leaders and sometimes they do become um, domineering tyrants and that's a shame and i'm very sorry for that but because some men have done it poorly doesn't mean that we should jettison scripture and what god tells us uh, i understand that it's been used to show that somehow women are inferior that's a shame because nowhere in bible do you see that um, but some people have misunderstood these things to try to try to project that, that somehow women are inferior. That's why they need a, a man to tell them what to do. That's not what Scripture teaches, and I hope I can show that to you a little bit. Uh, but I also think there's a lot of confusion uh, through the feminist movement. Uh, they have exacerbated a tug of war that uh, has been going on since Genesis 3. I mean, literally, the, Genesis 3.16 says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. He's saying this, ever since the fall, God's structure for the family, as the, the husband being the head of the family, he says, the wife's going to really struggle with that, and her desire is going to be to rule over her husband. And says, and then he's going to rule over her, meaning this, he's going to be harsh and try to oppress her. He's saying, this is not how God designed it, but this is what sin makes it. It makes it a tug of war. And I think uh, our current society only exacerbates that by trying to create a war between a tug of war between men and women that should should not exist. But really, what this comes down to is acknowledging the ultimate headship of Christ. As you look at this passage, it says, 
Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You see, there's always a looking past the immediate authority to the ultimate authority, which is God. And it's really not that the wife says, hey, I know you're so amazing that I have no problem submitting to you. It's like, hey, listen, you're a sinner saved by grace just like me. I can look to God, the ultimate authority, and believe that he can work in your life and work in my life, and he can bring harmony in our home. So it doesn't have to be a tug of war. It can be looking unto the ultimate leader, which is God. And so what is submission for the wife? Well, it's acknowledging the headship of Christ. It's as to the Lord. And understanding that, that means the wife has a great power to encourage her husband and say, hey, God has put you in our home in order to, to lead our home. And so I want to encourage you in that. I want to be a blessing to you as you have a very difficult job. And um, she has a great power to bless her husband in that. But it's also joyfully following husband's leadership. It says here, wives submit to your own husbands. Notice it doesn't say, husbands, make your wife submit. It never says that. When it talks to the husband, it says, and you love her sacrificially, give yourself for her just like Jesus gave himself to the church. This is a passive, meaning it's saying that it's not for someone to make her, it's for her to choose to do that. Uh, no one can make you be submissive. It's something that you choose to do. It's something that you willingly follow because you realize that God really did structure the family for, for joy and for human flourishing. It's never going to be perfect, but if we follow God's plan, we can have harmony and we can have joy in our families. Uh, I ask this, who made Christ the head of the church? Well, God did. Well, who did God choose to be the leader of the home? Or uh, who did who chose for the husband to be the head of the home? Well, God did. And so God has a plan in this. When God chose Jesus to be the head of the church, he had a plan for it. He had, it was a good thing that he did. And so when he chose for husbands to be the head of the home, it's also a very good thing. It's not a bad thing. So the idea here is to willingly submit yourselves, not being forced to do it. And notice it's not the same. He doesn't use the same word in the original language as he uses for children obey your parents. That's a whole different word. He uses a word for willing submission, something that the wife says, I'm willing to do this. Now, the children, he uses a different word that says, hey, this is the expectation. Children will obey their parents, <laughs> something that the parents are going to help them learn to do. But with a wife, it has to be something you choose, something that you do primarily because of your joy in God, not just because you think your husband is worthy of it. Colossians 3.18 talks about it. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands because it's fitting in the Lord. Notice it says to your own husbands, and it uses some very specific language to say not women submitting to men in general. <laughs> uh, some men need to be told this. <laughs> women aren't to submit, women aren't submit to men, they're submit to their own husbands. And it uses very specific Greek words, your own particular husband, the one that belongs to you. I mean, there's a sense in which wives, you can say, my husband belongs to me. He's my man. You can say that. As a matter of fact, I think if you look at the book of Song of Solomon, you see that repeated. He goes, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. The wife can say, that's my man. And a husband can say, that's my girl. That's my wife. She belongs to me. She, we, 
we are one. We're one flesh together. We belong to each other. So that should be something that brings you great joy. Even to the point in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. It says, render due, benevol- uh, due benevolence, or we could say uh, render due affection to them. And there's a sense in which uh, the wife has power over the husband, and the husband has power over the wife in the sense of our bodies belong to each other. So the wife can bless her husband by following his, his leadership. Then you go to verse 33, and it says, and I think this is a really important passage. In verse 33, it says, Nevertheless, each one of you so in particular love his wife as himself, talking about the husband, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there it says that the uh, husband's primary responsibility is to love his wife well. And then hers is to, to show respect for her husband's leadership. And so, what does it mean to show respect? It's the idea of having an awe. And it's even spoken, the same word is spoken of, of having a reverent awe of God. Now, I'm not saying in any way that uh, the wife is to view her husband as though he were God. No, that's, that's not what this is teaching. Uh, but it very much is saying this, because you have reverence and awe for God, you're able to show the kind of... Um, respect for your husband that God demands. And so, it's a really, it's a beautiful thing. And so, showing respect uh, for your husband. And then lastly, trusting God's plan. Um, So, we realize here that God's structure for the family is a benevolent one. Uh, Somehow, we've gotten the idea, it's like, you know, this is a patriarchy, and it's all messed up, and it's got to be supplanted. Well, I, I do agree that there is a thing called patriarchy, uh, but this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about God's structure for the home, which leads to great joy for all of the family. And it's really, again, putting the ultimate trust in God. Well, let's move on to the um, husband, okay? What does it say for the husbands? Verse 25. Now, I want you just to notice something. Maybe it's something is that you can underline in your Bible. You can go through, and every time it uses the word love, just underline that. <laughs> because there's a lot of references to love in this. And what you'll also notice uh, is how lengthy the instruction is to the husband uh, compared to how, many, how much time he spends talking to the wife. And it, here's the thing is, uh, men, if, if we will lead well like Jesus Christ, it makes it a whole lot easier for our family to follow our leadership. Lead well, and the truth is, is you, you go to uh, uh, your workplace, and you've, we've all had good bosses, hopefully, and bad bosses. And there's some bosses you follow, and you're like, I don't have a problem following that. That person really does look out for my, my well-being. They, they've got character, they've got integrity, and man, I just, I enjoy working for that person. Then we've all had people that were like, I need to get a different job. That person is the worst. (laughs) Listen, be the kind of leader in your home that makes your family appreciate that God put you in their lives. And so, um, what are some things he tells the husband here? Uh, Submission for the husband looks like loving your wife like Christ loves the church. And this is what's happening. We too, uh, as husbands, are looking ultimately to God as our authority And he says, you're going to love your wife like this. This is how I want you to love her, and you will love her this way. And so we are saying, yes, sir, 
God, you're in charge. If you want me to love, I'm going to do that. He's like, this is not going to be easy. It's not going to even be intuitive because we tend to love ourselves so much, it's going to be hard to completely change your thinking and say, everything that I do from now on is for the good of somebody else, not my good. It is really the most sacrificial, being the, the, the husband father is really the most sacrificial role in the home. It means you've got to give up the most. You've got to do the most serving. You've got to take the most hits, so to speak. Why? Because you're living as a leader for the benefit of other people, not for the benefit of yourself. What do we call people who uh, serve in government or serve in a job, and all they want to do is get as much as they can out of it for themselves instead of being uh, for the company or for the people they govern? Those are the kind of people that we say need to be kicked out of office. They need to be fired from their jobs. And so as husbands... We want to live in such a way that we're continually being a flow of blessing into the lives of the people that God puts in our home. And, and just pouring out love so well that they're continually nourished by that love. They I mean, here's the thing is, is do, do our wives say, I'm so thankful for my husband because I know he loves me. Everything that he does, I can see his love. Let me say, do your children know that? They can see your love. Now, love means sometimes you got to tell them no, and sometimes they don't always understand that, but they should feel the love. They can sense that love that you have for them. So, it means loving like Christ loved the church. It means giving sacrificially. Giving sacrificially. Uh, it says in Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, sometimes it's very easy to abuse a position of authority. And he says, you especially, husbands, cannot abuse that authority. You especially have to be very careful that you're only leading in love. Because there's, uh, there's a tendency for us to use our positions of power or authority in ways that are selfish. And he says, don't do that. Don't be harsh with them. And then it goes on and talks about protecting and providing for spiritual health. He talks about in, uh, there in verse uh, 25 and 26 that Christ gave himself for the church. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such good thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. In other words, Christ's purpose for the church was one that was good. It was to, to purify her, and it was one to protect her, and it was one so that she would be spiritually healthy, she would have the right standing before God. Jesus gave everything so that we could have a relationship with God. Now, I want to apply that to men. Listen, it's very important that, that guys help their wives have the, uh, an atmosphere that is conducive to spiritual growth. The way you love and treat your wife is going to make an atmosphere that makes it easier for her to get to know God. It really is. Uh, the fact is, is if, if, if you're harsh, if, if you're angry, if you don't have self-control, if you, you don't watch your words and you're hurtful with your words instead of uh, helpful, you create an atmosphere where it doesn't lead her to want to know God better. It actually distracts her, and so she, she finds it more difficult. Uh, and not only that, but guys, you ought to really care about your, your wife's spiritual well-being, especially one of the things that's hard is when you have a lot of young kids. Uh, we had, when we had four little kids, it was very hard for, 
to find time to do anything because you're always uh, cleaning up a mess, getting somebody bathed, you know, trying to say, hey, stop, stop arguing, and, and you're constantly training and loving. And sometimes um, uh, the mom kind of bears the, the greatest weight of that. And one of the hardest things in our home is like for Sherry to have time to have her personal devotions, a time with God, prayer time. And so we try to make it to where if I could to try to help in that as much as I could. Now she found a good rhythm too at nap time. She had a good hour where she could spend time with God, but also helping her find time to go out with her friends, to have you know a time of encouragement and spiritual uplifting. Uh, guys, we need to help protect our wives and to help encourage them as much as we possibly can in their spiritual walk. Um, and let me say this too, okay? And this is kind of an, an adult thing, I understand. Hang on, okay, don't we get too worried here. But uh, if, if you want a, an emotional, a good, strong emotional and physical relationship uh, as a husband or a wife, uh, spend time talking about spiritual things. Pray together, <laughs> Uh, maybe have, read a book together, uh, a book about uh, better marriages, uh, a book that helps you understand God better, uh, pray together, have devotions, share your struggles, study scriptures together. And let me tell you something, I, what I have found is this, uh, as you connect spiritually, there's going to be a deeper emotional connection. As there's a deeper emotional connection, there's even better physical connection. And so I think that's very, very important uh, that we spend time in those things. Um, and I, I'm going to encourage you this too. I'm, I think husbands and wives need to sit down, gather scriptures together about what God says about marriage, and to start writing out, hey, if this is what God says about how to have a good marriage, what are we going to do in response to that? And I, and I encourage you not just to have a loose collection of thoughts. I want I'm encouraging you to write it down. One of the best things we did was study scriptures together and then write down, because the Bible says this, this is how we're going to live our marriage. This is how we're going to train our children. God said this, so this is what we're going to do. And it was one of the best things. You raise a lot of disagreements between husbands and wives got ironed, for us got ironed out ahead of time. We say, hey, this is what we're going to do in this situation. This is, you know, this is how we're going to treat date nights, and this is how we're going to spend time together. This is the things we're going to do intentionally. And if you look, uh, the, the passage I, I just preached last Sunday talked a lot about living intentionally, right? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. And let me say this. Being guided by the Spirit and the Word with intentionality in your marriage and parenting will help you to have a very good home. It really will. You say, hey, the Word of God and the Spirit of God are going to tell us what we should do. And then we're going to be filled with the Spirit so that He can help us apply it in right ways. Why? Because the days are evil and we want to make the most of every opportunity. God has given us this opportunity in this moment of history to live for Him for His glory. And then start writing out, this is exactly what we're going to do. It's one of the best things we ever did as a couple is we figured out how we were going to how our marriage was going to operate from the Word, and how are we going to parent by the Word. It also means, and i got to hurry along, nourishing and cherishing your wife. Nourishing has the idea of, uh, of very similar to raising up children. Uh, it's where you provide for them and all the things that they need. So why can I say it this way? Nourishing has the idea of providing for a, 
uh, her spiritual, emotional, and physical nourishment. You got to be very concerned. Uh, no husband should ever be, oh, that's just the way she is. You should say, I, I need to know why she ha- feels that way. And I want to, First Peter 3, 7 says, to know your wife, to dwell with them according to knowledge. Know your wife and live in a way that is nourishing to her. I mean, the fact is, is who wouldn't love someone that lives their whole life for their emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being? That's an awesome way to live. That's the way, that's how we enjoy God's love for us, right? And so, you love this way, and it nourish them spiritually, physically, emotionally, and cherish has the idea of tender affection. It literally means to soften something with heat. And it's a picture, really, of a mother hen who broods over her chicks and gathers them in, and with her heat, just kind of shows her protecting love. And he's like, this is the way, as husbands, we treat our wives. We, we just want to nourish them in a way to where, can I say it this way? You are living your life for her spiritual good and joy and happiness. You really are. You're, you're trying to bring as much joy as you possibly can to her life by doing good to her. That's the way Christ is with his own people. He says, as your own body. He's like, and, and the, the comparison isn't here, hey, you know, take good care of yourself, then you can take care of others. Uh, there is a sense in which, you know, we need to, guys, we need to spiritually grow so we can help our family spiritually grow. Absolutely. But the idea is this. You try to take good care of yourself. You try to, you know, it's easy to put ourselves as number one and do whatever's good for us. He goes, now take that idea and instead do it for your wife. <laughs> Don't look at what's best for me. Say, what's best for her? Not what brings me joy, what brings her joy. Not what, what I want, but what does she want? Nourishing and cheering. And then it says, um, it talks about the one flesh relationship. Two shall become one flesh. And he quotes from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2, as a matter of fact. Man shall leave father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Jesus repeats this in Matthew chapter 19 and adds, so that those Two are no longer separate, but one. And what God has put together, don't separate. And so you have this idea of a oneness. And I'm going to give you a phrase that someone gave me a long time ago, and it was very helpful. And it's this, we're in this together. It's not just a oneness of flesh. It's a oneness of spirit and mind and direction and emotion and spirituality. It's blending our lives so close together that every part of us is connected. You know, it's one of those things where after being married to Sherry for 30 years, I, if I go back and meet people I haven't seen in years, they would say, man, you're really different. You know why? Over time, her influence on my life, she just... Who she is has so become part of who I am that we're so connected. Uh, really, where where she stops and I, you know, begins and I end, it's it's like it's just we're just together, and it's a really beautiful thing. And so, just whenever you're facing something, say, "Hey, we're in this together. We do this together." If that's helpful, I got to keep on moving along. What does submission look like? Uh, oh, and live in unity with your wife. That's the last thing. Submission for children. It's pretty simple. Obey and honor. <laughs> uh, obedience uh, does have a time stamp. Uh, and and uh, I think uh, at a certain point, they're going to leave father and mother, it says, and they would cleave to their wife. Or we could say when the child leaves the home, the obedience part is going to have a limitation. But the honoring is something we continue to do. Because honor simply means esteem, to hold them in high value. 
And so children, Colossians 3.20 says, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And this isn't the word submission. We're not saying, okay, you're three years old, and so I'm going to teach about submission so you'll willingly submit to me. You will teach them that. But at that point, it's a lot about, it's a, a kue. It's a, you just need to hear what I say, and you just need to do it. And so let me just say it this way. I'm not the first person to say it. Teach your children to obey right away with a happy heart. Obey what we tell you to do right away means there should not be a 30-minute argument over a child doing something. It's, uh, I've asked you to do this, so you need to do this. And to do it with a happy heart. If they do it, but they're screaming and pitching fits, that is not the Bible plan. <laughs> okay? The idea of obedience is here is they willingly say, you've asked me to do this, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey right away. I'm going to obey with a happy heart. Your goal is to get your children to that point. And it starts when they're very, very young. They need to learn to, to say, when mommy tells you to do something, it's not, no, well, now you need to do it. No. Now, I'm telling you, no. If I have to say one more time, don't, don't do that. You're training your children that they don't have to listen. And sometimes this has a, a, a very important immediate effect. If your child's running toward the road, do you want to argue with them for 10 minutes if they're running toward the road, or do you want them just to stop and come to you? Uh, it's really a matter of, of just loving your children and teaching them. And also, can I just say it this way? This is the way the world works. If you tell your boss no, you get fired, right? There, there, there is uh, immediate consequences for not learning, not learning the skill of submitting your will to somebody else. And they learn that primarily in the home from their mom and dad. So just insist upon it. You say, well, what if they don't do that? Well, I don't, I'm not going to teach everything about child training here, but God does give us a way through punish, systems of punishment in order to modify that heart. Uh, listen, we're not about modifying behavior. I mean, we can do all kinds of things to modify behavior. You know what God is interested in? He's interested in getting their hearts. He's interested in their heart. That's what he says in Proverbs. He says to his son, my son, give me your heart. And, and discipline is not about getting your kids to do what you want. It's about learning to submit their wills to God. And they learn that primarily through you. That's part of the, the process. And so, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and honor your father and mother. Uh, let me just say this. And you say, well, what's the promise? Well, he tells us right there. goes back to Exodus, that you may have a long life upon the earth. Uh, there's a promise that God gives that for those children who will honor their father and mother, that God will give them temporal blessings. Uh, Clarence Darrow, maybe you've heard of him from the Scopes Trial fame, said this. The first half of our lives are ruined by our parents and the second half by our children. <laughs> he didn't have a very good outlook on life. Uh, it does not surprise me based on what he believed, a pretty bleak picture of the family. Um, but let me say this. It, it is very common sometimes for children, adult children, to blame their parents or blame their problems on their parents. Let me just give you a little bit of advice, okay? First of all, every parent makes mistakes. I made a bunch of them. My kids can tell you a bunch of them, right? But the fact is, is they try to do the best they can. And oftentimes, they didn't have very much training themselves on how to do it. So cut them some slack. <laughs> uh, number two, dwell on the good things that your parents have instilled in you and be thankful for those. All of our parents made mistakes. I've made mistakes with my kids. But you know what we can do is we can dwell on those and blame them. Or we can say, you know what? My mom and dad did the best they could. Yeah, they made a lot of mistakes, 
But the fact is, they've also taught me a lot of very good things, and I'm very thankful. Dwell on those good things. Number three, learn from the mistakes that they made, and don't repeat them with your kids. You, you don't have to despise them for the mistakes they make. You can simply say, you know what, that's not what I'm going to do when I'm a parent. I'm not going to do that. Dad used to yell at me and scream at me, I'm not going to do that with my kids. You should learn from their mistakes, but you don't necessarily have to despise them for it. You shouldn't. And lastly, show your parents some, some grace, because when your kids are adults, you're going to really hope they show you some for your mistakes. But even Jesus submitted, Luke chapter 2, verse 51 says, he went down with them to Nazareth, and he was subject to them. <laughs> even Jesus, being God in flesh, obeyed his parents. Well, what does it look like for the parents? And I really got to hush, uh, uh, hustle long, not hush. That's what you're hoping I'll do. <laughs> Uh, it looks like not provoking your kids to anger. Uh, by the way, if you got the devotions for the connect groups, at the back, I actually put resources for, for uh, books on marriage and books on child training. And I really encourage you to get those, okay? Uh, one of the best books I think I've read is by Lou Priolo called uh, The Heart of Anger. And it talks about how parents frustrate and exasperate their kids and how to avoid that. Uh, so not to, not to raise an angry child, can I say it that way? Don't, don't, how not to raise an angry kid. And so that's a very, very good book, and so I don't have time to go into all the different things we can do. I encourage you to find that resource, but we want to be cautious not to exasperate our, um, our kids. And what, what are we called to do in submitting to God? It says to, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, the idea is instructing them and then disciplining them. Uh, positive and negative. Uh, when they do things that are wrong, we correct it. Uh, when they do things right, we celebrate that, we encourage them constantly, and we're constantly filling their hearts and minds with truth. Um, let me give you some encouraging thoughts, okay? God is training you even as you train your kids. <laughs> so you're still learning, and that's a blessing, okay? Uh, take your job seriously, but remember, you're not the sole guarantee of your child's success, I used to sit there and just agonize over the fact that whenever I made a mistake as a parent, I'd say, I'm going to ruin my kids. Uh, let me just say this. You don't have the power to do that by yourself. Now, what you do certainly impacts them, so you ought to take it very seriously. But the fact is the complete ruination of your kids is probably not going to happen because you made a, a mistake. <laughs> uh, if you make a mistake, you know what you do? You admit it. Many times I went to my children, I would say, Daddy messed up. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I've already asked God to forgive me, but I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? you know what? My kids were very gracious. <laughs> and, uh, and so we can make those things right. So uh, what you don't want to do is sometimes parents think, well, if you say you're sorry or if you admit of making a mistake, then it makes you look weak. No, it makes you look hard-hearted and foolish is what it does. Admit your mistakes. The fact is your kids know you made them. <laughs> They're not dumb. And so just admit them. Say you're sorry, and you'll teach them how to reconcile with people. That's a, that's a skill on itself. Um, and then uh, parent with grace, meaning this. Uh, you need to also receive grace. When you make a mistake, don't agonize it for weeks, over it for weeks. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Accept the grace of God, but then also give grace to your kids. They're going to mess up their kids. They're going to mess up a lot. Don't be harsh with them. Love them. Encourage them. 
you know, there, if you were to ask me, Jeremy, what do you wish you would have done more as a dad when your kids were growing up in your home? What one thing do you think you would do more? This is what it is. I wish I was more encouraging. I wish I had encouraged them a lot more. It's very easy to see where they make mistakes and to say, oh, no, we don't do that. But I wish I had encouraged more and said, you know what, whenever they did something right, I, of course I tried to do that. I just wish I had done a whole lot more. Uh, because the truth is, don't we all like it when someone says you're doing a good job? <laughs> we all love that. Kids need that. They really do. Okay, then he gets into workers. Okay, so let me just say this. You say, wait a minute, this says bond servants or slaves. This isn't the same as modern-day work situations. You're right, it's not. <laughs> but I think there's some principles that apply. Uh, slavery, of course, is, is a stain on human history. Uh, whether or not the slavery he's talking about here in the book of Ephesians is the same as what we know as chattel slavery in America's history, that dark, dark stain on our history. It, it, it was a sin against God. It was horrible in, in every possible imaginable way. There was absolutely not enough things I could say about how terrible it was, okay? And so I know that this situation is not exactly like our modern situation, but I think there are some very interesting things here. By the way, it was passages like this that eventually took slavery out of America and England because uh, in, their, in their mindset, even, even in Paul's day, Roman day, uh, fathers tended to be absolute tyrannical despots. I mean, they were just, had a, a hammer-fisted uh, control over their entire home, and no one could say anything differently. Paul gives a completely different picture of what a husband should be. He, they were overturning the culture like you would not, they were turning the world upside down just with these few verses. And then as he began to say, I mean, you understand something, uh, having a local church in which slaves and which masters would serve in the same church, and in that church, a slave could be an elder and, te and technically be over the master, be, be a leader over the master. That was not acceptable in the Roman world. Uh, they weren't divided by race. They were divided by classes. And so if you were a slave, you were nobody. But, but the local church upended all of that. And you could be a leader in a church even though you were a slave when you went back home. And so through those new dynamics, those new humanity dynamics, it began to overturn slavery in that part of the world. And eventually it was the very same principles that people who were abolitionists in American history in England uh, used in order to, to upend. That and the, the, the all-important truth that we are made in the image of God, every single person. And because of that, we had no right to take the freedom from someone like that. And so those are, those are good things. But let me just hit this real quick. He talks about, um, and this is uh, verse 5, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service or not just when they're watching you as those who simply want to please men, but really but being servants of Christ, being bond servants or slaves of Christ and doing the will of God from the heart. Again, he goes back to looking at the ultimate authority. So what does it look like? And we're going to apply some of these things to your workplace. So if you're an employee, uh, it's obedience. And he uses actually the same word as he uses for the children. If they ask you to do something, be willing to do it. Now, of course, not if they ask you to do something that's dangerous, something you're appealing to a higher authority. At that point, if your boss asks you to do something extremely dangerous, you can say, well, uh, because I understand that we're made in the image of God, to, to intentionally destroy that image through unsafe practices uh, at the workplace 
goes against God's ethics. So we can, we can argue those things. And, um, but what I'm saying is, uh, pretty much, they ask you to do something, you should. You should show them respect. You should do so with sincerity. In other words, when you go to work, you should do your best, not just when they're watching you, it says, not with eye service, just when they're watching you, okay, you look good, walk away, okay, now we slough off. No, 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 no. It's with sincerity, it's with faithfulness. And then he says, and the same for the bosses. He says, now for those who are the masters, he says, the same things. Uh, you masters do the same things to them. So a lot of these same things, obedience, okay? How you treat your workers is an obedience to God, how he wants you to treat them. You need to show respect. You need to look out for their well-being with a sincere heart. Uh, there's, there's no such thing as a Christian boss who's not concerned for his workers' well-being, uh, that they can feed their families with how much he pays them and that the work conditions are safe. All those things ought to really matter to a Christian employer. And, uh, and to do so uh, faithfully, ask to the Lord is what he says. But then he adds this other thing. He says, um, and this is not in this passage. This is actually I'm throwing in from Colossians 4.1. By the way, Colossians and Ephesians were written about the same time and contain a lot of the same information to different churches. He wrote to different churches, but a lot of the same information written uh, while he was in prison, very, very close together, okay? And he throws in there in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, uh, he says, being just and fair. So in other words, he's saying this, you ought to do what is right by your employees, and you ought to be fair in your compensation, how you treat them, everything is in, kind of embedded in there too. So be just and fair. Okay, and that um, is all for today. Don't worry about that. <laughs> okay, so let me just let me just kind of wrap this up with uh, an application. Okay, um, we have these this new humanity, this new identity in Jesus Christ, and our human relationships ought to reflect that. So I'm going to encourage you: if you're a new person in Jesus Christ, find out what the Bible says about how you should be. And write those things down and say, this is the kind of father, husband I want to be. This is the kind of wife, parent I want to be. This is the kind of child I want to be. This is the kind of, of worker I want to be, the kind of employer I, want to, employer I want to be. All these things. And then pray that God would give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Say, God, open up my eyes so I can see how to be these things and to do them well. And so if I can say anything as I close, it's this. It's really important. Know how to parent and, and, and be married well. And you do that from the Word of God. And then what happens is this, and say, well, as I grow in the Lord, won't I learn new things and I'll actually grow my ability to do it so I might modify that? Yes, constantly be refining it. The more you grow in the Lord, the more you say, you know what, I think this is even better, this is even better, and live those things out. And do it intentionally, look at it often. And uh, if you do that, uh, I, God will help you by His grace to have a really great, harmonious home. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you. We realize how difficult it is uh, in this world. We have so many forces pushing against us that have ideals that are very contrary to your word. And also, Lord, it's just hard for us because, uh, Lord, our flesh often wants to act selfishly and, and do what's best for me instead of best for others. But Lord, you called us to this brand new type of life. God, you're opening our eyes to this new life, step by step. And God, it's, as we're seeing these things, God, we, we want to obey them. And we know that you give us the spirit so that we can. But Lord, we know the whole purpose of this is so that we, as your 
people might be beacons of light to the world to show how amazing you are, God. How that your way of life is so much better than, than the competing ideas. And to show with, with happy marriages and, and, and happy homes and, and, and godly uh, people, Lord, that your way is best. So God, help us to do that. We know it's difficult, but please help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, next week will be the final if, um, uh, final message of the seven-part series in Ephesians. We'll cover just the last 10 verses and look at spiritual warfare. And so I hope you come back for that and how to be ready for it. If you don't have those devotions, we have some right here. So uh, devotions for the week, so you can meet with your connect groups. There's some on the second row here, a whole bunch of them. I think we might have one notebook left back there if you want a notebook to put them in. And so please take advantage of that. We're dismissed. Thank you so much for being here.